0: So we are winding down our series on the minor prophets. Uh, most of the time on Sundays, uh, it's for it quite interesting people. Uh, About 20 minutes into the service uh, they will tune in so that they get to hear the message and surprise uh, I'm preaching earlier Uh, and so that just throws you off just a little bit but that keeps you on your toes uh, as we look at the minor prophets and uh, it's just a way to kind of shake us up make us think and and, and do things a little differently Um, the prophets uh, hopefully we are now eight weeks into the prophets so we've got about four more weeks and my hope is, and we've been having some discussions on our Wednesday Bible studies, for those of you who have been joining in, um, where you're beginning to be able to see, hopefully, some, some patterns, some repetitions, some of the same kind of statements that they make. Uh, sometimes you're seeing the uniqueness and the, uh, the differences in a lot of the minor prophets. Um, The minor prophets, I just wanna remind you, are not minor in significance. It doesn't mean that they're less important than Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of those. They're just shorter so they're more manageable for you to be able to read. Uh, And so we're encouraging you to read them uh, each and every week uh, as we look at what the minor prophets are are saying. And so if you find yourself here today and you're like, I don't even know what a minor prophet is, Uh, this is my first Sunday, you're tuning in online for the first time, you can go on uh, to our uh, website and all of our sermons, we post them every week so that you can hear the audio part of our sermon. Uh, And then now, in the day of Facebook, uh, you can go back into and see any of the videos uh, that helps you to be able to kind of see. Because you, you get a really good view, I believe, when you look at the prophets. Um, you get a really good feel for um, what they're trying to say, uh, even though they're speaking to different times. And uh, you, you kind of get a feel for what they're calling the church uh, to do. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with repentance, and we'll talk more about that uh, today. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to invite you to open up to the prophet Zephaniah. Uh, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, so if you don't have yours, or if it's on your phone, go ahead and go to that. If you're online with us, uh, go ahead and turn to the uh, to the prophet Zephaniah. We're going to start, we've done this a couple of times, we're going to start at the end of the prophet. Uh, so we're going to start in chapter 3 kind of look at something there, and then we're going to kind of figure out how we got there. Uh, And so Zephaniah chapter 3, this is not going to be on the screen, Uh, so if you do not have your Bibles with you in person or if you're online, just listen uh, to the Word of God as we hear today. Zephaniah chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 6. I will cut off nations. Their towers will be destroyed. I will devastate their streets. No one will pass through. Their cities will be laid waste. There will be no person, no inhabitant left. I said, surely she will fear me. She will take instruction so that her habitation won't be cut off because of everything I did to her. However, they rose early to corrupt their deeds. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. Wait for the day when I rise up as a witness, when I decide to gather nations, to collect kingdoms, to pour out my indignation upon them, all the heat of my anger. In the fire of my jealousy, all the earth will be devoured. Then I will change the speech of the peoples into pure speech, that all of them will call on the name of the Lord and will serve him as one. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my daughter, my dispersed ones, will bring me offerings. On that day, you won't be ashamed of all your deeds with which you sinned against me. Then I will remove from your midst those boasting with pride. No longer will you be haughty on my holy mountain because I will cause a humble and powerless people to remain in your midst. They will seek refuge in the name of the Lord. The few remaining from Israel won't commit injustice. They won't tell lies. A deceitful tongue won't be found on their lips. They will graze and lie down. No one will make them afraid. Rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your judgment. He has turned away your enemy. The Lord, the king of Israel is in your midst. You will no longer fear evil. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, don't fear Zion. Don't let your hands fall. The Lord, your God is in your midst, a warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove you from you those worried about the appointed feast. They have been a burden for her, a reproach. Watch what I'm about to do to all your oppressors at that time. I will deliver the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and fame throughout the earth. At that time, I will bring all of you back. At the time when I gather you, I will give you fame and praise among all the neighboring peoples when I restore your possessions as you can see them, says the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for your prophet Zephaniah. We pray, God, as your people today, for us to listen and hear from you. I pray, Lord, that you simply use me, use my words, work around me, whatever you've got to do, Lord, to be able to speak to us so that we are changed and transformed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the prophet Zephaniah ends with what I hope you hear was actually like some words of hope uh, that you get to, uh, but it doesn't always start that way. And so I said we want to start back and kind of work our way up, if you will. Um, one of the things that we learn about Zephaniah is we learn a little bit more of a context. Some of the prophets, some of the minor prophets, we don't know as much as others um, we talked last week about Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is somebody who's probably the least, one of the least known authors of anybody in Scripture. We don't really know much about him, his context, but, but Zephaniah, we do. It tells us at the very beginning that he is, uh, uh, he is writing and, and prophesying at the time of Josiah uh, the king, and so that gives us a really good contextual point, point. and what we learn is, because it means something in that, that it, we learned that Zephaniah was born... and and was around during some of the worst times ever. And yet, we also see a moment of revival. And so we can begin to kind of think and ask, how did we see that through the prophet Zephaniah? And I believe that it was part of his preaching uh, that brought about uh, that revival. So first, let's just think about the the context, because I may say he's born at the time of Josiah, and you're like, that doesn't mean anything. Josiah had a unique reign. Josiah became king when he was eight years old. And so think about that. And his father, Amon, was the king. He became king, I believe, when he was like 12, uh, Amon only lived two years after he became king and he was assassinated. Uh, his father, Manasseh, he also became king when he was 12, but he lived uh, and reigned for 55 years. Uh, and, we, and we learn a lot about Manasseh and Ammon. Uh, if you go back and kind of cross-reference, you can see parts of their stories and how they reigned. Uh, if you go and look into the book of second kings i want to read a couple of verses to you uh, that we can't find in second kings second kings uh, verse 21 verse 2 he meaning manasseh this would be uh, josiah's grandfather he did what was evil in the lord's eyes imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the lord had driven out before the israelites Then if you jump down to verse 16, it says Manasseh spilled so much innocent blood that he filled up every corner of Jerusalem with it. And this doesn't include the sins he caused Judah to commit so that they did what was evil in the Lord's eyes. This is the world in which Zephaniah was born. And this was the world in which Zephaniah was was raised up in. And perhaps that is the reason that his parents named him Zephaniah. One of the things we've been doing each and every week is looking at what the name means. And Zephaniah means the Lord hides. The Lord hides. Now I want you to think about what do, you, what do you think that might mean? The Lord hides. Some scholars say that it refers to that it was such a dismal situation that God turned his eyes away from them. And so it is literally that the Lord hides. But most scholars would say that what it tends to indicate is more of if you will repent... God will hide you from the coming judgment. The Lord hides. And so this is the name that Zephaniah has. I want you to understand this is kind of the the spiritual and the moral environment that is going on when Zephaniah is here and when Zephaniah is preaching. To the people. And his message is difficult. It's hard. We've talked about that with a lot of the minor prophets. It's, it's hard to read them. They're, they're uncomfortable. He talks a lot about the day of the Lord, a phrase that we have seen repetitively through the minor prophets as we've looked about it. But the day of the Lord is a day of judgment that is coming to the people. Zephaniah describes it this way. Listen to chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you can look at verses two through four. I will wipe out everything from the earth, says the Lord. I will destroy humanity and the beast. I will destroy the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. I will make the wicked into a heap of ruins. I will eliminate humanity from the earth, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will eliminate what's left of Baal from this place and the names of the priests of foreign gods. Then jump to verse 12. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the men growing fat on the sediment of their wine. Those saying to themselves, the Lord won't do good or evil. Then in verse 18, moreover, their silver and their gold won't be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's fury. His jealousy will devour the entire land with fire. He will make an end, a truly horrible one, for all the inhabitants of the land not an easy message to hear but because of of zephaniah's prophecy and because of the reign of josiah we get we get revival in the people of god and so we can look at their story and we begin to stop and think and ask ourselves the church what do we see in them as you read this week what do you see in them that leads to the revival that they experience One of the things that I would encourage you to look for, revival comes at the point of desperation. Listen to that. Charles Dickens says it's the the best of times, the worst of times. Zephaniah, just the worst of times. I mean, it's literally, think of and imagine the worst. This is the point of desperation. And it's at this point of desperation that Zephaniah speaks to the people. And and what I really want you to think about is, we talked about this, I believe it was Hosea that I asked you this question. Are you desperate? Are you desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon you? Are you desperate for God to move in your life? Are you desperate? How desperate are you for revival to come to the church? How desperate are you? be able to praise and worship him what evidence in your life is there that says I'm desperate for God what evidence shows us that it's a challenging question but it's one that we really need to stop and contemplate I think about and I've used this before I, I, I do I think about Isaac Milwaukee, Matanda, and Ruth. And you hear their stories. Some of those, you may not have known them. There are a couple that come to the church. And they started many churches in Zimbabwe. And in our men's Bible study several years ago, Isaac told us some of the stories, and he would tell us how that he would walk over an hour to get to some of the places. And then he would preach, and then he would turn around and walk another hour. And it's difficult sometimes for us to turn on and click Go live on Facebook. How desperate are we for revival? How desperate are we for God to move in our lives, in our prayers? How desperate are you for God to move in your prayers? Or is most of your time spent with God telling God what you want Him to do, what you need Him to accomplish? In your personal holiness, How desperate are you for God to move? If God shows you something that you're going to let go of, that he needs you to let go of, how desperate are you that you'd be willing to do that? Or is it only when it's convenient and only when it feels good are you willing to do that? How desperate are we? Listen, church, ask this question. How difficult does it have to become before we get desperate? It's one of the things you see as you read Zephaniah. Revival comes when you are desperate for God. King Josiah was eight years old, I told you, when he took the reign. And so you kind of have to assume, at least I do, you kind of assume that somebody helped him along the way, right? I mean, when he's eight years old trying to make some of the decisions that you have to make. We don't get much about the early years of his reign but what we do come to understand is when he was 26 years old he commands people to go and repair the house of God. And so he sends men to go and to do the repairs and when they're there they discover the lost book of the law. Now that is the Torah the first what we know is the first five books of the Old Testament. So maybe a good story sometime is how did it get lost? But part of what we could probably assume is in the horrible reign of Manasseh and Ammon, it took them away from the law, from the book of the law. But they brought the book of the law to Josiah, it says. And as he read, that his heart was changed. That he heard the word of God and it began to change him and it began to lead to reform, and revival came. We've also talked about this during the prophets. We said that you know you can see different places where it calls for revival, and we have certain things in our mind about what revival is, and revival is, um, getting the songs that we want to be sung, hearing them in the format that we want to hear. That's that's revival to us, and revival is is more people in the sanctuary, and that becomes revival. Listen. You can have all kinds of models of revival, but you will not have authentic revival until you know that it has to go through surrender to the word of God as the authority over your life. You cannot have survival, have revival until you begin to stop and listen to the word of God and realize that it has the authority over you and it has the authority over this place. We are, let's just name it. We are selfish people. We are a selfish nature, and it's hard. It's hard to hear that God wants to do something, but it's going to require me to have to adjust or change or have something that may be different than what I want. Listen, folks, it's not about you. It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about God. We live in a culture that says that we are supposed to be Self-reliant, self-sufficient, independent, we're supposed to be free, all of those things. And I think about that because we're kind of at this point in our life. My, My daughter is getting ready to go away to school, and I want her. All that was within me. I want her to be independent. I want her to, to grow up and I want her to go to college. I want her to get her career. And yes, I want her to get out of my house. Uh, at times, uh, there are times that I don't want her to leave. But, but, but that's that independent and freedom part that we, that, but it clashes with surrender. And it's that culture that we're at. We have to stop and realize we will not get revival in the church Until we ourselves come to individual revival where we ourselves surrender to the authority of the Word of God over our life. Listen to this passage in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who practice his justice. Listen to what the Word says seek righteousness, seek humility, and maybe you will be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. Maybe you will be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. This verse brings out personal responsibility. It also brings out personal hope that we have. There are many of us, we have all kinds of different views. The church in America needs revival. But the truth is, I can't bring about revival in the American church. I can allow the Holy Spirit to bring revival in my life. I can't change the United Methodist Church. I can't even change Stockbridge Methodist Church. But I can allow the Holy Spirit to move in me. I can have a personal revival, which then if I have a personal revival and you have a personal revival, we the church get set on fire. How desperate are you for God? Interestingly enough, as Zephaniah talks about this hope, it's a kind of hope, and I loved that passage of it, it's the kind of hope that has God singing over you. God singing over you. We think about what we hear from Zephaniah. Maybe it's the maybe it's the judgment that brings the revival. The, the necessity for it, the, the reality of it. But in Zephaniah, we have hope. We have hope for repentance. We have hope for a remnant. We have hope for restoration. But are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to move in you? Billy Graham, in his last sermon, said, My hope does not rest in the affairs of this world. It rests in Christ." who is coming again. I'm not gonna get political, but we have a week coming up that's gonna be difficult no matter what happens. But you know what? My hope doesn't rest in the affairs of this world. My hope rests in Jesus Christ. My hope is not in the Republican or Democratic party. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Our faith takes us beyond the problems of this world to be able to see that we have hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we are so thankful that you move in broken people. We're thankful, God, that you are present and powerful and you continue to speak we pray, God, for revival. And right now, God, we, I ask all of you who are with us in the sanctuary and online, don't jump so quick to revival in the church. It's easy. It's so easy to jump to the sins of other people. But today, think about your sins. the Holy Spirit to move in you for revival in your own life. Surrender to Him. And be transformed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today